The Ebony's and the Ivory podcast is a bi-weekly dialogue with Dr. Dejalon Jackson-Bell and Dr. Lakeitha Poole. Through the EITI podcast, we plan to promote our mission of dispelling myths, rewriting narratives, and championing women of color in higher education. All views expressed through this podcast are our own, do not represent any entity with which we are affiliated, and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information or to set up a consultation, visit our website at www.ebonysintheivory.com. You are now tuned in to Ebony's in the Ivory. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Ebony's in the Ivory, the podcast. This is one of your hosts, Dr. Lakeitha Poole, and I am here with my lovely co-host, Dr. Bell. Hi, everybody. We're so excited to have you for episode seven. Lakeitha, you believe that we've done seven episodes already? No, I feel like we just started. I know. But clearly, we're here. Number seven. Lucky, lucky number seven. Lucky number seven. Lucky number seven. <laughs> so we're excited that y'all are tuning in for another episode. Obviously, if you are listening today, you have been following the show. So we hope that you've heard all six episodes leading up to this and that you're listening to number seven right now. But if you haven't, make sure that you've subscribed through SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Follow and like us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. That's at Ebony's in the Ivory. Or on Twitter at Ebbs in the Ivory. And then, of course, if you want to engage with us, you can do so through, yes, social media, but also through the website at www.ebonysintheivory.com. Right there on your phone. Um, and you can reach us anywhere. Comment on our blogs, on the podcast, chat with us, see what we have going on. Check out the website. And so today, I think we're talking about a pretty interesting topic that's kind of, I think, come up in other topics that... We've addressed, and so I'm super excited for us to get to talk about this, Dr. Bell. Okay, I'll take it away. So this week, um, we're talking about uh, our previous blog post, which is entitled, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, Women of Color and the Imposter Syndrome. Um, and like you said, Dr. Poole, I think we've kind of referenced and touched on the imposter syndrome and how it um, affects women of color, how it affects people in the ivory tower and in academia and we kind of um just want to reference the blog and kind of speak to um that blog post so um basically because i, I feel like such a researcher doing this um, <laughs> but in um, 1978 two researchers by the name of pauline clance and suzanne imes um they conducted a research study on 150 highly successful women um, and some were in the academy um, and also some were just highly um, high achieving students and they found that um, these women questioned their intelligence um, and their right to you know their, their proverbial proverbial seat at the table so if they were even worthy enough um, to to 
have the accolades that they had achieved. Um, and they found that the women often felt fraudulent despite their honors, despite their degrees, despite their achievements, and they felt unworthy of praise. Um, and so they said that, you know, these feelings ultimately lead to anxiety and stress. So they used the term um, imposter syndrome to describe their findings and um that has kind of turned in, excuse me, the imposter phenomenon, and that has kind of turned into what we call the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, but later, you know, studies have shown that the imposter syndrome does not just affect women, um, but it also um, affects everyone across the board and is generally seen um, in high achievers. Um, so according to study, um, that I found what well, I saw referenced on Inside Higher Ed. Um, so this study um, out of the University of Texas published um, an, a journal article from the Journal of Counseling Psychology and it suggests that imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon in some cases can degrade the mental health of minority students who already perceive prejudices against them. So not only is it affecting, you know, high achievers across the board but it has even a more profound effect on minority students who already may feel that they have to prove their worth or prove why um they you know have made it to hire it or prove you know that they were worthy of of getting those degrees or prove that they're not there just because of affirmative action Mm -hmm. um, and things of that nature or even you know in their careers um, at their jobs that they prove proving that you know they deserve to be there so one thing um that I like to say you know we can talk about imposter syndrome um and we talk about it on the blog but I kind of want to talk about um you know how to overcome it so as I was doing my research I came across um Dr. Valerie Young um she is the dean of Duke University's College of Arts and Sciences, and she be, she got that position in 2015. Um, and she says that the only way to stop feeling like an imposter is to stop thinking like an imposter. Mm. Um, and she's won many accolades, including um, awards from NSF, the National Science Foundation, um, and she's worked with companies like 3M, DuPont, um, IBM, like her CV is amazing. And she goes in and speaks, you know, to these women or to these companies in general about how to overcome imposter syndrome. Um, so as successful as she has been, she said that she struggled with imposter syndrome for most of her career. I think she said she's 51 or around 51 and she's been struggling with it, you know, to the age of 43, basically. Mm-hmm. Um And after she educated herself on what imposter syndrome was um, and recognized how great of an impact it has. So she said that one day she just kind of came across it um, in an article and then she kind of typed it in. You know, what is imposter syndrome? And she said whenever she saw the results of the search, like immediately it was kind of like a weight lifted off her shoulders. because She was like, "Okay, I'm not crazy. Like this is a real thing. And, you know, if you do your research on imposter syndrome, you know, you'll find in articles is yes imposter syndrome is definitely a real thing and it definitely can have a huge impact um on those um that it affects so she's gone on to um her personally conquer um imposter syndrome and she is now an internationally 
recognized expert on imposter syndrome. And like I said, she goes out um, to major, major Fortune 500 companies and, you know, does presentations and helps um, those employees kind of work through imposter syndrome. And she also authored the book, The Secrets of The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. Why capable people suffer from imposter syndrome and how to thrive in spite. Mm-hmm. And it's, that book is currently published in five languages. Um, so shout out to Dr. Valerie Young. Yeah. Um, she is a woman of color and she is doing a thing. Um, so I also like something that she's published and she gives um, permission to post and use it as you see fit. But Um, She has an article um, titled 10 Steps You Can Use to Overcome Imposter Syndrome. So, like I said, you guys reading the blog, you've already seen this. Um, But I'm just going to kind of run through the steps and talk about um, the 10 ways. She said when she does like talks and things like that, people are like, you know, okay, you know, I hear about imposter syndrome, but what can I do to combat it or what can I do? you know, to, to reduce my anxiety. Um, so the first step she said is to break the silence. Um, and she says that, you know, that comes from knowing there's a name for the feelings and that you are not alone and to, you know, actually accept like, and say like, okay, I am suffering from imposter syndrome and this is something that's real. Like even just putting it out in the air that this is a real thing can definitely, um, lift the weight. And then her second step is to separate feelings from fact. So she said there sometimes you'll feel stupid. Um, that happens from everyone time to time. Um, but realizing just because you feel stupid doesn't mean that you are. I think that's huge. Yeah. I think as you go through um, your educational journey, there'll be times there'll there'll be times where you know you come across information, or you might have to do a presentation, or and you just feel like oh, I didn't say that right, or. Um, I didn't, I didn't do that right. Or, you know, I got this, this paper bag and it's like written, like red is all over it. Mm -hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're stupid. You know, this is a learning journey and a learning process. So separating how you feel from who you are and, and the facts that align with that. Um, I think that's a great step. She also says for step three to recognize when you should feel fraudulent. So she says if you're the first or one of the few women or one of the first minorities to accomplish something or to even get the position, it's natural that you would feel like you don't fit in. So instead of, you know, looking at self-doubt as being inept, um, recognizing that that's a normal response, especially if you're um, trailblazing or um, making paths and breaking down doors, you're going to feel fraudulent because nobody else has traveled that path before you. Um, for her fourth step, she said um, to accentuate the positive. So instead of getting bombarded with this this idea of perfectionism, and I know that's something that high achievers do have to deal with, instead of, you know, trying to be perfect, um, she says the trick is to not obsess over everything. Um, and just to do a great job when it matters most and forgive yourself when mistakes happen. So you don't have to be perfect in everything. Mistakes will mm-hmm. happen. Fifth step, she says, is to develop a new response to failure and mistake making. So instead of beating yourself up for being human, um, you can glean 
from that experience and learn and say, okay, well, I made a mistake, but what, how can I apply that, you know, to the next time or when the next time this happens? So, um, and mistakes are inevitable, she says. So just learning from those. And then for the fifth step, she says to develop a new response. Oh, I just said that. Excuse me. <laughs> for the sixth step, writing rules. So, or write the rules. So she says you should never like follow misguided rules like I'm supposed to do this or you know I'm not supposed to ask for help or I should always know the answer she says that you need to recognize that you have just as much of a right as the next person to be wrong and that you should be able to ask for assistance and number seven she says develop a new script so that kind of reminds me of like what we talk about in counseling as far as like thought stopping is concerned Mm -hmm. so when thoughts come up and those feelings that trigger or when imposter syndrome is triggered that we stop and think of something else so we stop and tell ourselves something else instead of wait till they find out that I really don't know what I'm talking about I'm changing that to you know I may not know all of the answers but I'm smart enough to figure it out and then she says for step eight is to visualize success and that's like I that's my personal um I guess strategy mm-hmm. to combat imposter syndrome I've always been like a very visual and like imaginative person so when I go through things um, or when I have obstacles like I always I love to envision myself past that or working through that or more so like I, I like to think of what my testimony is going to be after it's said and done um, and visualize myself like telling somebody else like this is what happened but I, I overcame by doing this or that so she's saying you know just like professional athletes do and I you can probably appreciate this as a sports psychologist to visualize yourself across the finish line or visualize um, success visualize yourself making a successful presentation or visualize yourself asking um, or posing a question in class so that also helps to combat um imposter syndrome number nine she says is to reward yourself and to break the cycle of continually seeking and then dismissing validation outside of yourself and learning how to pat yourself on the back Mm. and then finally um number 10 and she said fake it till you make it because there'll there'll be times when we really don't know the answer yeah you know and we can't wait until we feel confident to start putting ourselves out there like we just have to get it done until you know it actually comes until we actually are confident. So faking it till you make it. So I know I said a mouthful and I gave 10 ways to overcome imposter syndrome. Um, but I want to know from you, Dr. Poole, how did you first learn about imposter syndrome? I think probably through research. So, you know, both of us had topics centered around like education and people of color pursuing education. So I'm sure I came across it. I didn't end up putting it in my dissertation um, because I would have never finished probably like adding it in Um, so I think just around that time but like as far as my own experience I definitely didn't have a word for it you know leading up to that like I didn't have a term to sort of um, classify what I was probably feeling about you know the experience of being in higher ed and pursuing an advanced degree to be able to define it to then try to help overcome it and so I don't necessarily know that I had a ton of experiences where I felt that way but I definitely you know even in the workforce now and and sometimes it makes a difference on your environment too 
I was fortunate in that the early part of my career, I got to be surrounded by a lot of people who looked like me, a lot of students who looked like me. Um, My work was centered around helping folks who looked like me within the last few years that has shifted a lot. Um, And so there are times where I am like, "Mm, am I supposed to be here? You know, and so um, and not because of not being capable, because obviously I wouldn't have the role that I have, but it's more so the doubts about what is that thing that somebody's going to ask that I don't know or what's going to be my response to, you know, an unexpected situation that maybe I that people assume I'm ready to handle that maybe I'm I'm not. So I obviously have never let that get the best of me because I would have I would be jobless. But um, I have, you know, I definitely can. You still feel those feelings like I don't necessarily know that there's a way to fully rid yourself of it but I love that she offered these tips because it allows you when those negative thoughts try to creep in just like you were talking about with the thought stopping you're able to sort of instantly combat and replace them with something more positive and being able to let yourself know and validate yourself that like you're supposed to be right where you are so um honestly for me maybe learning about imposter syndrome came much later and more through professional experiences than in academic settings in academic settings I felt like nobody couldn't tell me anything so (laughs) so um and I was in diverse places it was just different but more so in the in the workforce is where I feel like I learned about it and actually got to experience it I agree um I think I first kind of learned the appropriate term for imposter syndrome when one of my professors was speaking to it and he was speaking about um how it was his first um position as an assistant professor and he's teaching this um educational philosophy class and i think he's teaching like second year phd students um and they're in there posturing and um you know trying to sound all intelligent and he's like oh shoot like I got the same degree they have but I'm like kind of like am I like am I equipped to do this and of course he was because he wouldn't have got the job at a research one institution um but he put a name to that feeling and I was like you know I I felt like that going through and like I would I, I would never say anything about it or you know just like you said in academia, you know, I feel like nobody can tell me nothing, quote unquote. But at the same time, there were there were moments of, of self doubt, um, especially when I start writing and like writing my dissertation and like writing my journals and stuff and getting feedback. I wrote a, a book chapter for, and I know I've referenced this for um, my dissertation chair. And when she gave me my rough draft back, she was like, "Oh no, baby," and I'm like what what you mean like no like what you talking about and like she was like you need this needs a lot of work like that's and I was like uh, like poor K like what do you what do you mean this like I'm just looking at her like are you are you kidding me and that was my first time getting that sort of feedback on my writing but I mean clearly I was writing for like a graduate level textbook so I had to be on point and I had never written like that before so like I legit like I think I cried I'm pretty sure I cried when I got it back and I like sat down and thought about it and I was like dang I'm not as tight as I thought I was like my writing is not as tight as as I thought it was 
and that was definitely a teachable moment um, yeah. for me because at that point I did feel like imposter. She had like her um, her graduate assistant like doing um, revisions and stuff like that, and I'm like, this girl's in grad school. She's is she judging my stuff? Like she's not even a PhD student, but is she like judging my stuff? Is she like pointing out like she think I'm dumb? Like mm-hmm. and that was difficult for me um and then like I said writing my dissertation and stuff like that um I I feel like I'm a good writer as far as like presenting I have a ways to go with like I don't know more I guess confidence in like presenting so like I legit like when I was about to um defend like my generals like I was in a panic like I, I went to um the room in which I was going to present and like I really had to like go in there and pray like set the atmosphere beforehand like Lord you know I do not like doing this but clearly I need to do this to get my degree yeah um and a lady came in when I was like in there praying and like she just randomly started praying with me and like it was I was like thank you Lord you know exactly what I needed um but like even like presenting and talking about things or even like when I did my dissertation defense, my mom was like, I can't believe it. It's like, she was like, you just like spit everything out. Like you mm-hmm. knew everything. Like there was nothing that they could ask you that caught you off guard. And I was like, are you serious? Like, I didn't feel like that, but yeah. I, mean, I don't know if anybody that. does. That's the thing. I don't, I don't think I felt like that either during my defense. I felt like I, I don't know, had to put a lot of thought into what I said, but right, other right. people experienced it as very smooth. Oh no, you did a great job. I, I still don't believe you, but I appreciate I'm it. I'm telling you, I watched the video right now. I was logged into it. Um, but even like she like texted my dad and was like, you know, she defended better than the both of us when we defended. And I'm like, how? Like, did you not see me? I was a nervous wreck. Like, because speaking about my work has always been a stretch for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and just speaking about you know, something I hold so, you know, near and dear to my heart, which is education and higher education. I mean, it's, it's still a stretch to me. So feeling like, you know, am I even competent enough to speak on this? Or am I even competent enough to, you know, even, even with our initiative with Ebony's and the Ivory, like, am I smart enough to be trying to tell other, you know, people who are pursuing PhDs, other women, other women who have already obtained PhDs, like, can I do this? And, like, I know I can, but those thoughts pop up all the time. So Mm -hmm. I think that's my experience with imposter syndrome is, you know, knowing that I have the skills, but how that's transferable to, you know, real life. I think that's been kind of, you know, my struggle. But I, my professor kind of gave me the term and and I've kind of, you know, run with that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when he said it, it it also just like Dr. Young said it it lifted a weight off my shoulders to know like there was actually a name for that yeah I agree for sure so I think we kind of addressed this but do you feel that you subscribe to imposter syndrome at any point during your academic journey um I think that the thoughts came like there were moments I hope that I didn't like fully subscribe and like give in to the feelings but I definitely felt like there were times where um 
me feeling like an imposter was very uh, strong, I guess is probably the best way to say that. Like that it felt like a very real thing. And then I never let it linger. And that probably gets into like the next question more so like what you shouldn't do. Um, so but I, I mean, I definitely there are just instances. Right. Like and we've we've talked about this on on the show before is, you know, for someone like me who didn't have um, anybody else in my family who went before me to get a Ph.D., you know, while everybody could offer support. And of course, like my mother went to graduate school, so she understood like the intensity of the work as well. But nobody could walk me through like, OK, what's my next step to get through um, my comps exam or through um, my proposal defense? And so those were the moments where I'm like, well, if you're getting this degree, shouldn't you know how to figure this out? You know, and those right. are like messages that you almost sometimes place on yourself, um, not even like systemically, maybe that are already built in because that's a whole other podcast episode, too. But like right. being able to um let that thought come but just not let it stay I think was always kind of just my approach and so it it definitely happened there were definitely moments but I tried to do my best not to let um myself give in to what it felt like as even though I was probably terrified so yeah so then again leading into the next question is what advice would you have for women of color um who are navigating um, careers and navigating higher ed um, and the academy um, who may be dealing with imposter syndrome what advice would you have for them I think just trust yourself like you know how hard you've worked to get where you are and nobody can take that away from you so why would you let your own thoughts take that away from you you know and and yeah. be able to sort of like allow yourself to be yourself in navigating these spaces so that you don't feel like you are you know changing who you are or switching who you are where you do feel inauthentic in their spaces and like you know dress dress appropriate but dress to your style like be in the speed like occupy the space I guess it's probably like be able to say like yes I'm a woman of color um yes I'm a product of a single parent home yes you know, whatever those things are, all the butts that sometimes like imposter syndrome throws into our faces to be able to say, um, but I'm here, I made it and I made it on my own merit. And so I think just being able to like give yourself permission to be authentic, um, trust yourself, rely on all of the knowledge and experience that you have because you earned it um, and then just walk in it like, you know, be able to give yourself permission to to do it just do it shout out to serena you're right <laughs> um yeah I, I agree with what you said about giving yourself permission and kind of like um dr valerie valerie young said you know it's okay to feel fraudulent especially when you're like i said trailblazing and creating paths and you're the first person in that position or you're the only person that looks like that looks the way you look or um you know, the person of whatever ethnicity or race whatever you are navigating and occupy occupying a space um feel that like live in that and and use it to your advantage um my advice also would be to feel the fear and do it anyway um because mm -hmm. the fear is not going to go away um but you shouldn't let it stop you 
I was just listening to a podcast earlier um, by T.D. Jakes, and he was saying, you know, fear is a natural response. Like, it's a God-given response, and it initiates our flight-or-fight response. So mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with fear, but you have to um, subdue it, in a sense, and you have to use it to accomplish whatever you need to accomplish, and you mm-hmm. have to let it uh, serve as a catalyst um, and propel you to where you wherever you want to go so feeling the fear and doing it anyway um would be my advice and then also as dr young said you know faking it until you make it like you're not gonna know everything Mm -hmm. you know if you're you know beginning your journey or you just got that job and you know you want to be a high achiever or you want to know everything there is to know right at that moment but that's not humanly possible um so allowing yourself to be a learner and allowing yourself um, to, to understand that it's, it's okay not to know everything at one time. Um, I think is is a, um, a huge, um, you know, a huge way to um, combat imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I love the idea of being afraid but doing it anyway. So that's it for our topic for today. I think we're going to take a little break. And then we're going to go into our signature segments into Culture Corner. And then we're going to shout out our Ebony's in the spotlight for this week. Um, so we're going to take a, a quick break and we'll see you guys after the break. signature segments so this week for culture corner we're gonna talk about um an issue that really like grinds my gears um near gretna louisiana in terrytown louisiana and you know dr Poole and i both are from louisiana so this is embarrassing um <laughs> and, it is embarrassing this is but not though because they're right they jefferson parish y'all all all my louisiana people it's not orleans parish she orleans parish bougie like everybody else in orleans parish but that's another topic for another day Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) so there was an 11 year old girl um named faith finity and she was sent home um from christ the king which is a catholic school in louisiana for wearing braids um, and she, her, her brother said that she had worn her hair in like those thick braids and they were, they weren't super long or anything like that. She wore them in a ponytail. Um, she had been wearing them for the past two years without any problem. So her brother posted on social media, a video of her walking out, um, of school with her family, with her mom and her dad. And she was so devastated and so embarrassed. And she was crying. Like my heart just reached out to her. Um, because they called her mom and dad to come get her because they said that her hairstyle was unacceptable. So shout out to her brother because he was like, he, he kept it real. He was like, extensions make the hair easier to maintain. Mm-hmm. Now, as women of color, 
and especially black women, we know that to be the gospel truth. Mm-hmm. They do. Extensions do make um, black women's hair easier to maintain. And he said that it allows my sister to have access to the swimming pool without having to get her hair redone every night. Um, and he was saying, you know, how could you make a, a policy like that without even having a discussion, without even presenting it or without that decision being made by anybody of color um and he said it's because you don't care and that's just one more barrier um of entry for black people um he said the policy was added the school said the policy policy was added over the summer um and Stephen finity said many black girls wear extensions and the school's policy will of course affect black children more than white children um the superintendent of the school, Raynell Houston, said that um, the archdiocese uh, developed policy for, policies for the school. And check this, that Christ the King has a policy that only allows natural hair. Now, I'm wondering on that. So if she wore her natural hair, like let's say she came mm-hmm. with the Angela Davis afro, right. then would you be okay with her just wearing her natural hair? My hair is big right now because my, my braid out is... um. It's old, so it's like super fluffy and big. Like, would y'all have a problem with me wearing my natural hair out? Mm-hmm. And you know, just I feel like my gut tells me that would be a problem as well. Um, but they say that the policy only allows natural hair. They said that the policy was communicated during the summer and the first day of school, um, and the school leadership worked with families as needed to ensure compliance. And they offered it, the family a chance to comply with the uniform address policy, but the family chose to withdraw the student. So they withdrew her from the school. The student was not suspended or expelled. But at the same time, why, as parents, would you want your child to attend a school after such an embarrassing moment right. um, and a moment that went viral? Yeah. So her family is joining forces with the family of another Christ the King student who was also removed from the classroom because of her hair. The family's planning to sue the school. Um, and I believe the family's, um, they had a, made a restraining order against the school um, until they could get, I think, a court date, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they're citing that the policy is discriminatory and adversely affects minority girls. Um, and since the school actually rescinded the policy, but the what has I did not yeah, know that. Did. I think that was yesterday. I did, no way, I'm not sure. They re, they rescinded the policy. I know that for sure um, because I, I saw a news headline from one of the affiliate New Orleans news stations, um, and the parents still have not returned the school's um, request for contact, and they have not responded to meeting. Um, with the school through the invitations for meeting with the school so yes the school did rescind the the um hmm. the policy and you know what i'm sure it's because all of the backlash associated someone put i think it was eric campbell from mayor mary she was like everybody call the school and tell them so you know me i called the school uh, <laughs> and i couldn't get in touch with anybody i did leave a message um, I put on my best school counselor voice and talked about how, you know, that policy, um, you know, was not in compliance with, you know, what 
what schools should um, advocate for students with as far as children being um, holistic and, and growth and all that good school counselor stuff. I, I, I left them a message. Um, their, their answer message was full of those. So of of course it was. My message because people were blowing up um, the phone line. Because um, it's ridiculous. I it's mean, ridiculous. I think part of it is like, you know, what, what often also gets pushed to the side is like the way in which kids experience these type of things are traumatic. And mm-hmm. so to have a, a, a young girl be told that her hair is not appropriate for school where she is learning and being educated and interacting with peers both like her and not like her because Christ the King has a little it's a mix of people there um you know that's something she will never forget and so the school while rescinding that policy you cannot take that back like you can't not take that experience of her being embarrassed in that way back for the rest of know her life and so being able to have your voicemail be full is the least of my worries so the least yeah and i know ti spoke about it um and mentioned it on his social media page and he was you know sending a message to um the student and saying you know you're beautiful you're a queen your hair is beautiful don't ever let anybody tell you um you know that you're not and that you're not worthy of um, occupying spaces because of something um, that you know is culturally acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it was just I was flabbergasted by it and disappointed. Disappointed that it was in Louisiana. Disappointed that it's 2018, almost 19, and like children are like like people are shooting up schools, but you're worried about somebody having braids in right and it's not as if they were tons of different colors or not as if the style wasn't quote-unquote presentable um yeah she wasn't like whipping her hair not at all you know or willow smith like you know she wasn't like trying to (laughs) you know like there was nothing inappropriate about it the way they said it was like it was like a shoulder length it was in a ponytail too i think or what i read and it was just short ponytail it wasn't like it was like there a butt or anything like that i just i just don't get it i'm tired tired hashtag tired hashtag tired um, I also would like to say, just because you said hashtag tired, um, I am, I don't want to say excited because that wouldn't be the correct word because it's not how I feel, but um, I am pleased that justice kind of sort of has been served um, for the Jordan Edwards case mm-hmm. um, and that the murderer who murdered him um, was found guilty um, unanimously by a jury and that um, he will be receiving 15 years in prison and I don't relish in the fact that you know someone has to go to prison or they're you know, losing 15 years of their life but mm-hmm. I mean there are consequences when you take a life and yeah. you did it for a reason that it was for no reason mm-hmm. there was no reason um, and you know people are you know say you know, oh, well, Jordan had a 3.5, and, you know, Jordan went to go to University of Alabama to play football, and he was an honor student, and, you know, that's wonderful, but even if he wasn't, he still deserves to 
to be here. So we honor your legacy, Jordan, and we are glad that your family gets some sort of semblance of justice, even though it will never, you know, replace your life that was lost. So yeah. I just wanted to plug that in and say that since we're talking about hashtag tired. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a bittersweet ending to yeah, um, definitely to that case. So for our, you know, the the part of the show that we love so much, yeah, um, we're on our Ebony's in the spotlight portion of our show. So this week we want to acknowledge Ashley Ravis. Ashley, if I did not say your last name right. Like, forgive me, forgive me. I'm trying to be phonetic. Um, Ashley Ravis. So she is beginning her PhD journey. Well, she already began because classes already started at Georgia State University. Is it the Bulldogs? Go Bulldogs. Mm, no, that's UGA. See? Oh, dang. That's how you know Sorry. you're from Louisiana. <laughs> I'm a Saints fan, so I have a thing about Georgia anyway. But, you know, we're going to... Like, we still support you and Georgia. Ashley. <laughs> um, so she is also, I thought this was pretty cool. She's also um, a graduate school representative for the Association of Multicultural Counseling and Development. I'm not sure if that's a recent recent position promotion, but I did see because I stopped, stopped your Instagram page, actually, because we're <laughs> friends. Um, so I was able to, I always see all the good and the cool stuff that you're doing. Like, your posts are always relevant to the field of counseling, and you always teach me things. So shout out to you anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're excited that you are beginning your journey, um, and you've always been plugged into what we're doing at Ebony's in the Ivory. And I believe Ashley attended our first seat at the table um, presentation um, in DC at NBCC's symposium, mm-hmm. Bridging the Gap Symposium. So, shout out to you, Ashley, for supporting us. Um, but we support you, and we are excited about you beginning your journey. It's going to go by so quickly, and you know um, that we're here to support you, and we'd love for you to continue because you already have continued to engage with us along your journey um, and teach us some things that you learned too. Absolutely. Definitely proud of you um, for all that you are doing, both in academia, but also through service and serving the counseling profession as well. Um, And yes, we do stalk you. You have a cool blog. I always see what you're posting, which is amazing. I think definitely going to help support so many, um, not just women, but also just people in general who are starting their journey um, to not only academic fulfillment, but personal fulfillment as well. So Keep up Absolutely. the good work. We are super, super, super proud of you, girl. Go, Ashley. Go, Ashley. Okay. So, unfortunately, Dr. Poole, that kind of brings us to the end of this episode. Oh, but man. We think, I know, right? I feel like it goes so quickly. Mm. Um, but I love doing the podcast. Um, and I love being authentic and genuine. So, you guys even get to hear, like, when we mess up. <laughs> and say stuff, or like laugh really loud, and we're not. I know. Probably it's not doing it on air, but whatever, because we're humans, um, <laughs> and we are going to embrace all of our flaws, um, and we hope that you do the same because yes. you're still, um, you're still a winner, regardless. Um, so again, just thank y'all so much for tuning in. 
Um, we're in to episode seven, and we hope that you guys continue um, the ride with us. Please be on the lookout for our next episode and mm-hmm. our next blog and any other content that we, um, you know, put out on EITI Tuesdays. Um, and be on the lookout also for our mentoring initiative, which we'll be starting mm-hmm. um, soon. And please be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on all of our social media pages and outlets, Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, probably missed something because we are on so many platforms. <laughs> um, and make sure that you guys engage with us. We love to engage with y'all. Um, and also, be sure to submit you or your fellow Ebony's in the Ivory or Ebony's in the Spotlight accomplishments. Um, we want to make sure that we acknowledge y'all and we let the world know, you know, all of the great things that you all are doing. Um, and we want to just honor, give honor where honor is due. So please be sure to tune in um, next week or the next time we do our podcast, um, the next time we release content. And again, thank you guys. And we hope that you have a lovely rest of your day. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.